trauma doesn't have to be that one single experience it can be something some little experience you go through literally on every single day of your life you know you mm. come back home to like a house that's just not happy uh, when we go look at who's definition of what health is it says health is not the mere absence of disease or infirmity it mm. is the holistic well-being of men, physical mental and social well-being so you have three paradigms over there that was akshay akilan director and manoj janakaran officer for research projects at hibiscus foundation hibiscus foundation is a women led youth run not for profit organization that was founded in 2020 their mission is to advocate for mental health human rights and sustainability in this episode we dive deep into the topic of mental health and well-being Many of us often struggle to understand the difference between mental health, mental disorders and illnesses and our guests Akshay and Manoj help us clear up these misconceptions and discuss the intersection between mental health, gender and intergenerational trauma. But before we get started, let's take a moment to learn more about our guests and their work at Hibiscus Foundation. So I was born in Chennai but I grew up all around India. from Mandalay to Delhi to everywhere and uh, I uh, came back to uh, Chennai sometime around uh, when I was around 6 to 10 I guess and uh, I was diagnosed with dyslexia pretty early in my childhood and uh, ever since you know mental health has been a very proactive part of my life you know, I had therapists I had special educators so I just grew up with it so to me it was just as normal as it could get because that was just my life even though it was surrounded by so much stigma and everything else I went ahead to do my uh, ma- uh, bachelor's in psychology, my master's in human rights, and a special education diploma, and a post graduation diploma in counseling and psychology. And uh, whilst all of this, whilst I was doing my master's, I got into an internship with the United Nations uh, Human Rights Commission and uh, the WHO, the Mental Health and Noncommunicable Diseases uh, Global Coordination Mechanism Department. and when i come back to chennai you know it was like almost like two months before the pandemic i guess and uh, i just started a mental health page and you know wasn't exactly targeted at the pandemic or anything but naturally it took its course towards that and people right. started messaging me and saying you know hey can i write for this page i was like sure <laughs> that's like life and my lord <laughs> and uh, people were like you know can i design for you i was like absolutely and people started <laughs> messaging me and saying you know aksh you're making way too many typos on this you know your dyslexia is showing i'm like you know before i knew it there were like almost four to five people and a little uh, while later like we were making so many posts people wanted to collaborate manoj was one side uh, person who wanted to you know collaborate uh, with habis because even before he was part of the organization even before he was registered as one Yeah. and people started writing stuff and you know people started coming in after you know hey i want to provide therapy to people that really need it you know i would mm. do it free of cost and i was like oh sure you know let's do this and you know that, that's when i realized you know we're doing so much and you know it felt a little unorganized because it wasn't mm. registered and we'd like for it to be and got it registered and that's when it kicked in it spiraled out we had the first ever event was game night and uh, to our surprise we had about 140 registrations and we had only had something going over there so you know i really thought from around is, the country yeah around the world actually we oh, had people wow. from africa we had people from russia we had people from different parts of europe and uh, australia and the us and everything so yeah that's how that transpired <laughs> from my end but i'm sure manoj's story would be a little different from mine so i started uh, my bachelor 
master's in biotechnology. Um, that's where everything started, let's say. So I, when I was researching on, um, uh, I was really fascinated and interested about diseases in general and how human body is afflicted by these diseases. So that led me to do research in infection and disease. And slowly I came to understand uh, that there are factors that are beyond the physical self. So one thing led to another, then I went ahead, did my bachelor's and master's in English literature, followed by a diploma in psychology, a postgraduate diploma in psychology and therapy, and then a master's in psychology, yoga, all that, uh, you know, spectrum came in by. So my journey with hibiscus was something uh, quite, um, something that was needed for me. We all have mental health. It is just as important as physical health. It is not only about mental illness or mental disorders. This is just one part of a bigger picture. It's best to think about mental health as being on a continuum, rather than people being either mentally ill or mentally well. We are all on the continuum and we move up and down according to factors, such as our genetic makeup and upbringing, our life circumstances and the stresses we are under. At one end of the continuum, we have mental disorders, like depression or anxiety. And at the other end, we have states of positive mental health, when we're thriving, content and fulfilled. The aim of mental health interventions is to move people up the continuum, so that they're able to reach their full potential and live satisfying lives. The World Health Organization describes mental health as a state of well-being in which every individual realises his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. Being mentally healthy means being resilient and able to cope with difficult times, feeling in control, being confident, feeling good about yourself, managing and expressing your emotions, building and maintaining good relationships. How do you perceive mental health personally, on a personal level? Essentially, to me, mental health, like I said, you know, it's something that I've just been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've faced a whole bunch of things myself. I've been in and out of therapy for years, in fact. You know, in and out of special education for uh, I don't know, almost half a decade through my school mm-hmm. life. So you know, I've really been in this field. I did psychology for my uh, college, I mean, my school as well, my eleventh and twelfth grade. So I've been in the field for over almost like six to eight years now. So and I've seen how it, you know, sort of really makes such a big impact and how what sort of a difference it really creates in people and just how important it is for people to just have the bare minimum of just being heard in the first place, you know, and how validated that makes them feel. So I think that that's pretty much why I'm in the field. And, you know, for me personally, I think uh, I do a whole bunch of things, like other than, you know, reaching out for help or uh, whatever else it might be. I make sure I do some sort of guided, guided imagery meditation sessions uh, before mm-hmm. I go to sleep. Or, you know, I make sure I keep myself physically active to ensure mental health because it's very correlated. Yeah, just like one or two things here and there and uh, really try to talk about it and create like a support system for myself as much as needed and necessary. So, yeah. Before we um, understand what or jump into mental health directly, we should also see what health is in the first place. 
uh, when we go look at WHO's uh, definition of what health is, it says health is not the mere absence of disease or infirmity. It mm-hmm. is the holistic well-being of physical, mental and social well-being. So you have three paradigms over there. So health happens in these three paradigms and, and it is defined as well-being. So that is the key over there. It's mm-hmm. not the absence of something. But it is your ability to be there, even if you have some uh, difficulties, but your ability to overcome them on your own. So, so mental health for me is, again, in three paradigms, your ability to cope with your day-to-day uh, stressors, having a good support system, and expressing what you feel and go through authentically without hiding it to others. So if you're able to do that, in a good space, at least even if you're able to do it to one person, not be a group of people, it may not be, um, you know, your best friend, your parent or someone, it can be even uh, your therapist, and it needs to be your therapist. Uh, If you're able to express yourself authentically, let out uh, your emotions and what you're feeling, that is mental health, basically. I really liked how you touched upon these three paradigms because I mean, I myself, I am uh, going through something and taking very good care of it now. And it's just like, you know, in a good place to be because I mean, the way it started and the way it is now for me, uh, the mental illness that I am dealing with and um, the way I talk about it or I feel about it, like it's, I don't feel like it's something that I shouldn't talk about and it it feels even empowering in a way because the way that I see it and I, the way I perceive growth in that sense, it, it just makes so mm-hmm. much sense. And now when you've mentioned these three paradigms, it's I, there's going to be a lot of thinking to do tonight for me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm glad. So, but then, you know, what happens like now, since I spoke about mental illness, what happens usually is that people consider like use these interchangeable terms uh, mental illness and mental disorders with mental health or mental well-being so for someone who might be getting confused with these terms or confusing them for each other how would you differentiate between these two completely different concepts you know I, I would like to always you know when people ask me something about mental health and you know illness I always like you know take out the mental from it and you know just say illness and you know just health so, you know, uh, I tell them, you know, hey, you have a small rash on your skin. Does that make you sick? You know, does, is that, does that mean that you're ill? Uh, you know, and health is a spectrum by itself, right? You're on one side, you're 100% healthy. And on the other side, you're 100% unhealthy. There is no possibility that you're on either end. And you are somewhere in that spectrum at any given point, right? There is something that's functional and something that's not. I think that is a very important thing to understand for mental health as well, because you can have symptoms of depression, you can have symptoms of anxiety, you can have symptoms of any sort of disorder that's out there, but does not necessarily mean you have the disorder, right? Like when you have a cold or when you're like, you know, just about to catch a fever, just, you know, you do what you need to to take the precautionary step. And you Mm -hmm. can do the same when you feel these symptoms of mental illness as well. You know, it does not essentially mean that you are ill or you have that disorder, you know? So I think, I don't think people really know when to use illness or disorder in the first place because they don't even understand what mental health is in the first place you know let alone understand that it's a spectrum altogether so 
things. And I think a lot of social stigma also kind of develops from this very thing because uh, like if if you're saying, I mean, if you're talking about mental health or mental well-being, people kind of dive towards mental illness and disorder without, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. so I, I also feel like a lot of social stigma kind of stems from that problem. India was dubbed as one of the most depressed countries in the world by WHO in 2018-19. Yet, up to 83% people suffering from mental health issues don't get the help they need, the National Mental Health Survey found in 2015-16. And one of the primary reasons why people don't seek therapy is judgment. A person who seeks therapy is considered weak and mentally unstable. And people often think there is something wrong with that person. So again, uh, the term, as you, uh, as you, as Akshya clearly mentioned, um, and you also pointed out, like people have a very big, um, they find it very hard to differentiate between a mental illness, disorder, so, uh, until and unless, you know, in my opinion, I feel that until and unless, you know, someone says uh, uh, who has the um, qualifications and authority to do so, like, let's say, um, a psychiatrist, for, uh, you know, until and unless a person has a diagnosis from a, psych- a psychiatrist that says you're depressed, you right. cannot use the term, uh, I am depressed. People have been using this term so cavalierly that... Yeah. Uh, yeah gravity behind the uh, term the importance uh, of uh, the term has been losing its value over the years so mental illness in my opinion uh, what i feel is that it's a general state when disorder is something that is probably diagnosed by a professional more in our country mostly by a psychiatrist so disorder is something that is classified that is uh, it has its own uh, uh, what you say parameters and other things mental well-being again as i said earlier it is a state of holistic health mm-hmm. where a person has to be filling in all three dimensions to the maximum ability of uh, of their um, you know maximum ability of theirs for example i can be sad let's say i uh, lost my favorite book i just love books So if I lose my favorite book, I become sad and I'm crying over my lost book. I'm very anxious about it. Does that mean I'm not mentally well at that point of time? Not necessarily. Not Hmm. necessarily. I'm sad, but I'm able to regulate myself. I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm able to, uh, I calm myself down. I'm able to calm myself down. And I tell myself, okay, it's a book. I've lost it. Maybe if I go try to find, um, uh, you know, or try finding it from the place where I last have seen it. Some amount of like stress involved there. Yeah, it is always going to be there. But if you are able to regulate and if you are mm-hmm. okay and fine with it, then it's fine. Because we have symptoms doesn't mean necessarily that we are having a serious problem. And I always, always tell to both my clients and the people I meet, in general, if you are in doubt, talk to a professional. Yeah. It can be either a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist. Talk to them and they will be able to better guide you and tell you where we are and what needs to be done. Correct. But now that this kind of moves us to the other bigger question of social stigma, right? Like 
Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, in the last few years, definitely there's been a change. Uh, I think even public figures have been openly talking about their mental health and uh, the conversation has been shifting a little bit. But then again, this is, you know, for us, it's it's for us who are in urban spaces, who have more access to technology and more access to information and to social media. And so we learn more and we are getting to know more about these things. But um, obviously that changes with as vulnerabilities like come in and as marginalization comes in. Uh, but do you do you think as both of you as mental health experts, do you think there has been a drastic shift or would you say that there is uh like is the i mean in what ways is this kind of stigma decreasing and what what are the positives that's, that that are happening at the moment i would like to focus on that throughout the course of humanity right um the talk of mental health has spiked during the worst times humanity has gone through for example world war 1 gave birth to so many different theories and perceptions on mental health by itself so did world war 2 and that's when it sort of like expanded drastically and the way we talk about it or how we experience it also changes when the entire globe is going through something so hard right it's easier to empathize everyone's going through the same thing right and suddenly you understand that okay this is what it feels like to be out of control of your own emotions at this point you know this is what it feels like to feel like you know to feel all these different variety of things and you know not be able to do too much about it because literally everyone's going through the same thing you know loss grief you know yeah. anxiety or yeah. trauma like of different sorts so this pandemic also saw a shift i don't know if there has been enough data on how much or how drastic a shift but mm-hmm. so many people were talking about mental health and organizations like hibiscus sprung out so many people wanted to work on it so many people decided to take up mental health as like a course of study and you know right. it's it's been a, it's it's a shift and it it did exist i wouldn't be able to tell you in numbers or quantitatively how much but mm-hmm. i can tell you that i've seen it personally and i've seen how many more people are more willing to seek help you know get help for their children seek help uh, you know in capacity of going through some loss grief you know trying to heal and so on and so forth so that i think is a huge conversation change that has been sought uh, during such dire sad eerie times that we have gone through akshay had beautifully put out uh, the general timeline as to how the conversation has been shifting uh, over the last few decades i would like to try try to touch upon the other spectrum of it where uh, though uh, the stigma surrounding mental illness and disorders are decreasing what is on the increase is the amount of um, misconceptions and the unnecessary um, fear that comes out of it as well so um, again as i pointed out earlier on i i feel depressed is a very common term that we often use but depression is a much more serious and uh, it it's a much more deeper uh, uh, thing than what we usually are uh, exposed to people confuse the idea of being sad and being depressed right and the other uh, part of it is that yes like any other scientific development that is happening over the years the progress unfortunately fortunately is a bit slow but there is definitely progress i've um, i've been talking to one of my mentors and 
she was telling me like 20 years ago uh, the number of therapists or psychologists uh, would have been very less in india compared to the number of increasing psychology courses and the access to these courses uh, in india has been drastically increasing she was telling me that, that back in those days uh, having a specialization was not even a option people would have to go abroad but in mm. india right now we are having so many specializations within the uh, field of mental health propping up so definitely the narrative is changing but it is on a slow pace but we also need to be aware that there are misconceptions and we need to better educate ourselves when we are trying to use these terms and when we are coming across these terms i think the way that you uh, compared like i mean the way people kind of see it like sadness being depression and the other thing that i hear a lot <laughs> and i see a lot online is that when people are really stressed out they are like oh i'm so anxious as someone who has anxiety who's been diagnosed with anxiety it's kind of funny sometimes i mean i'm not saying i know what people are going through but you can say sometimes how casually these terms are used right and like how frivolously they're used and um, I won't say it's like necessarily offensive, but it feels like you know that like people need to know these things. Like there needs to be more education surrounding that. Like that is my problem. I'm not getting offended, but my issue is like no more. Like do better. Exactly. <laughs> so when people when we tend to use these terms very heavy, uh, you know, very uh, you know lightly, you know, just as a passing conversation, people who are going through these emotions or these conditions. who are really going through it who are undergoing through it uh, may start questioning it oh so others are also feeling the same kind of stress and emotion that i am feeling so maybe it's just normal thing so that can uh, that kind of a thought can potentially lead to people not seeking help right so that's why we are very particular when we say please be careful about the terms that you use Mm-hmm. we are telling because it might send out a wrong message to others where people who are in need of help might think oh this is just a normal thing maybe we can just uh, ignore it and i mean i see other people taking care of it very well on their own maybe i don't need help so that yeah. can be detrimental to health so another like tangent i want to touch upon is uh, you know because of how some people are so conscious about or like they try not to use these words so hard Mm-hmm. that they sometimes underplay the actual symptoms they have because they think that you know oh it can't be worse than the other person <laughs> yeah i see you raising your hand there so you know it's just, uh, yeah absolutely it's just you know I, i think that's also something that you know causes a lot of uh, issues in people like seeking help by itself because they underplay it and they you know they gaslight themselves for the lack of better words uh, you know yep. for thinking that they're just not you know they're just not in the space to take help as such so. what you said just now it's basically it's been me for the longest time and i've like i always thought that i would be able to deal with that like myself and then there was this i i was already like diagnosed with a couple of things earlier but then also another factor which comes in is affordability which i think hibiscus is doing an, am- an amazing job with that but i remember the first time i ever uh, went and i sought out help I was a student and I couldn't afford it and um, it was too much for me to the point where I was on medication for a month and then I was like listen I can't afford this it's too much <laughs> and then I took a step back my mental health wasn't regulated so to speak 
I kind of went back into this rabbit hole and then the next time I thought, okay, no, maybe, you know what, I'll try doing this. I'll save up some money and then, you know, let's, let's kind of do this. And then I went ahead and I did that. And again, the same thing happened. And then for, I think another year or I think two years, I was just kind of floating, being fully aware of the fact that something is up. I need to kind of get a hold on myself and uh, figure this out. But, um, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> so now like the current situation is amazing. And like, it's like I said earlier, like once when you kind of get into this perspective of growth that you put in and you see things a certain way, I think like it, it makes so much of difference. So totally. And I totally kind of um, uh, feel that sentiment of when you said Akshay that, uh, you know, people underplay that. And I did, I honestly did for the longest time. And now it's like, you know, I'm in a space where it's like, like, hey, I know what's up and this is what I'm doing about it. And it's going to get better because I'm working towards it. So it's it's a great place to be. And thank you for saying that. <laughs> thank you for sharing. You know, it really must not have been easy to you know, undergo all of that and have to underplay it yourself. And then, you know, finally seeking help. And I'm really glad where you are, like, you know, right now. So Yeah, yeah it's amazing to me yeah, also, you. honestly. And I completely acknowledge that. Like, look what I'm saying. I have started a podcast. Mm-hmm. I never could have thought of this. I, I had this equipment. I think <laughs> I mentioned on the, the previous episode where I was, I was talking to Anna. And uh, I said the same thing. I've had this equipment for, like, the last two, three years. But the crippling mm-hmm. anxiety... <laughs> just wouldn't let me allow to kind of take a step ahead but here we are and I'm glad we're having this conversation so a lot of times what happens is I mean gender gets underplayed much like mental illness all the time uh, although it's such a cross-cutting issue with literally everything um, people may ask how does gender come into play with mental health and you know it's mental health it's it's universal everybody is dealing with this so why are you bringing gender in this and what does gender equality have to do with it and so we know how this works we worked in that area but how do we make this this intersectional intersectionality of gender and mental well-being um and all these unique challenges that women and gender and sexual minorities go through how do we make it more transparent and have freer conversations about this and how to basically bring it to the notice of people that hey like this is happening and this is different and why it's different so Mental health by itself is a very complex issue and it does affect individuals of all walks of life. But when it comes to women as such and people of, you know, uh, other genders, they face a very unique challenge uh, when it comes to mental health. But let me touch upon health first, because I feel like that itself is something women face like a much larger challenge with. When it comes to getting a basic diagnosis right mm-hmm. women face so many complications in in you know just the area of physical health by itself you know let it be something with uh, sexual or menstrual, uh, menstrual hygiene they the, the, their ability to actually like reach out to a good gynecologist and actually get a diagnosis that they deserve uh, mm-hmm. takes years sometimes 
right and like as well as like heart diseases or strokes or you know take pain for example like men, mm. women have such a difficult time getting their pain taken seriously in the first place that brings me to mental health by itself and the way a lot of mental illnesses manifest in women or even mental health symptoms you know symptoms of mental illnesses manifest in women is very different sometimes as compared to what uh, or how it manifests in men or boys so let's take adhd for example right um the way adhd is usually portrayed on tv or you know generally is hyperactivity where like you see the child running around you see the child you know uh, not paying attention or doing you know different things at the same time or whatever right but for women or for girls because of you know culturally being told to not move around so much not you know to be quiet to sit in a place to talk like a girl to sit like a girl to be like women it sort right. of conditions the girl to have that hyperactivity in the brain it's much more harder for them to even realize and diagnose a girl child with adhd as compared to diagnosing a male child with like you know boy child with adhd yeah it's like we are on auto alert yeah. right <laughs> yeah exactly and and you know i <laughs> this honestly it brings me to you know people always like yeah girls mature faster oh i wonder why <laughs> you know i you put all this pressure you put all this you know uh you know need for them to be so aware of their surroundings and be so hyper vigilant that you know naturally like what what else do you really expect yeah so that brings me back uh to you know uh just how gender impacts mental health so much uh you know when you talk about depression by itself women are twice as likely to be depressed as men mm-hmm. but here is like something that people always uh sort of misunderstand because of numbers and uh, i will explain this suicide rates right uh trigger warning when we talking about suicide so men die from suicide much more than women do but mm-hmm. women attempt suicide two or three times more than men do mm-hmm. right so this discrepancy is not because you know men are uh, you know more depressed or men are you know uh you know like just attempting more it's it's simply because men end up using and slash having access to more gruesome and more um you know more more ways that actually get them killed you know women are more likely to use softer and lighter ways you know that is accessible to them you know men are out in the field men are you know in construction sites or in farmlands or whatever you know women at home uh, you know often try to consume like uh, products at home that you know could get them killed Yeah so you know that by itself you know is a, is a tangent that a lot of people like I, I see this post coming up a lot during men's mental health day or like you know men's day or uh, mm. you know when they talk about men and mental health and they're like you know many men die from mental uh, you know this and I'm not yeah. invalidating it one bit but I'm just saying that you know um, and also the, uh, when you know pandemic happened a lot of people like actually calling these helplines were men and it's it's great and it's, it's I'm really happy that they're seeking help and uh, you know that that they're being more aware now um and but it just i feel like the way they look at it you know is just mm-hmm. not right it's not that you know uh, men are dying by suicide because more men attempt suicide it's actually women who attempt more and you know and they don't, they're just not as successful as men you know and uh, like mm-hmm. that, that that's a tangent that not many people look at or talk about so even there like the access kind of accessibility to these things that could potentially kill you comes into play and which is with this bizarre but this... I mean I'm grateful that women are dying not dying like but at the same time yes. you know, I'm just like it's just still really sad like to look at what the conditions are 
what would be these other things like we can say probably like social factors that kind of um, put women and gender and sexual minorities in a unique position pertaining to mental health and why does it make it so different or stand out? So I, I would like to give a, you know, touch upon that uh, to answer your question, Rishali, and take a different tangent from what Akshaya was also explaining. And mm-hmm. with regards to gender, when we see one of the biggest factors uh, that is uh, causing mental health crisis, mm-hmm. I would call it crisis, in mm-hmm. uh, our uh, generation is the societal gender norms that we are forced upon with this is a huge huge uh, th- uh problem that has not been coming from our uh generation it's not just with our generation but also from our previous generations gender role stereotypes are when a person is expected to act in a certain way based on society's expectations related to their gender Traditional gender roles go back to a time when there were clear and, at times, unequal rules about how people were expected to act based on their gender. People who were born male were expected to be strong and aggressive, not emotional, and, of course, to love sports. People who were born female were expected to be kind and nurturing, emotional and domestic, meaning they were all supposed to be able to cook and clean. Gender role stereotypes also affect people's understanding of who is beautiful and who is not. People still go to great lengths to try and conform to these unrealistic ideals they see in popular media. They diet, obsessively exercise, and go through plastic surgery. Additionally, strict stereotypes about gender police people's emotions. Girls are not expected to show anger, and boys aren't supposed to be empathetic, nurturing, or vulnerable. Luckily, as times have changed, so have people's expectations about gender roles. More and more people are free to behave in ways that are true to who they really are. And that is a good thing. There are, uh, co- uh, you know, sayings like, oh, men should be strong and bold and should not cry. Women mm-hmm. should not go out, of, out, uh, out after the dark. I mean, why are we not supposed to, uh, why are we not supposed to go outside the dark? These societal and gender norms that are enforced upon us has a magnitude that affect us. For example, uh, uh, these rules were coming up, you know, societal and gender norms are time specific and they might have been useful back in the old days. Like, for example, uh, the notion of women should not go out in the dark after a certain point of time when the sun is down. In the olden days there, you did not have electric lamps, electric lights or torches or something. Very unsafe for people to go out. So it was a general norm for everyone not to go outside the dark. And right now we are overemphasizing. So how does mental health come into this? Well, as I said earlier, men should not cry. Catharsis mm. is one of the most important and basic feelings that everyone should go through. Mm-hmm. The ability to cry and let your emotions out. Suppression is something, uh, suppression of emotion is something that you can see with almost a lot of men. And that causes a lot of mental health crisis. Similarly, this can be seen with anxiety and specific phobias. Although, although men and women are affected equally by these kind of mental health conditions, but conditions such as obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, social phobias, anxiety are twice as likely to be seen in 
women more than men these are seen more in women and sometimes it even goes undiagnosed ptsd women are twice likely to develop ptsd after following a traumatic event women account for at least 85% of all anorexia and bulimia cases and 65% of the binge eating disorders all these come from or one of the major contributing factors is your social uh, and uh, so uh, societal uh, outlook and the gender norms that are being associated with we are these enforcements these implications that are put upon us enforcements that are being put upon us is causing all these uh, mental uh, or at least contributing significantly to the mental health crisis that one has so gender plays a vital role gender norms plays even more of a vital role in causing mental health uh, issues obviously like when it comes also to um, gender and sexual minorities that would be uh, probably much more elevated in the sense that um, not only they are dealing with the fact with their own experiences but also from social stigma and then you know their own individual experiences as human just as human beings and then just the whole mixture of it all also makes it a very very unique position for them to be in and this is what stands out in comparison to when people say that yeah i mean why you bringing gender into this or sexuality into this but it just plays in on much more of a deeper level right <laughs> of course of course uh, th- that is that like uh, to give an example for uh, what you clearly said is that um, sexism right mm-hmm. uh what can a women do this is one of the uh, e- uh easiest uh sentences that you can hear on a passing conversation at least uh, um, in very orthodox cultures oh she's a woman she can't do anything she can't achieve anything studies yeah. have shown that women are more, more likely to experience discrimination and harassment which leads to feeling of worthlessness anxiety and depression particularly true for women of culture uh, color with disabilities who often experience racism in addition to sexism all these societal factors are playing an important role as to how uh, the experience that are gone through by an individual is different especially if they are from different genders more if you are not uh, within the binary spectrum that people are trying to impose people from other uh, uh of uh, sexuality for uh, for that matter or also going through a lot of mental health crisis because there is a huge societal norm that surrounds uh, the conversation in this particular context that you have said uh to give a little bit more insight even if we did like you know into what intergenerational is it is essentially you know what we see observe and uh you know we take up from our parents as well and not just what they impart on us sometimes it's very unconscious you don't really know you're picking it up at the first place and you know they don't know that they're giving it to you in the first place what does it mean to be intergenerational and you know um the this term is used a lot more in the development and advocacy spaces which are very very elitist and i feel like that could be another podcast episode <laughs> but uh this is a term which is very very um um niche i would say uh intergenerational so when we talk about intergenerational trauma can we 
begin with understanding what intergenerational is so when you say intergenerational it essentially means that it's passed down through your ancestors to you experiences that they have gone through you know that you carry it can be it, it, it this can be anything it can be you know societal values culture religion it can be you mm-hmm. know just belief systems or whatever that is uh, intergenerational and uh, um what uh, other other things that can be you know sort of just transmissioned through generation could also be your expression or your reactions or rather your coping mechanisms uh, and the way that you behave certain uh, in certain situations because of the traumas you have undergone you know like let's uh, like you know let's say world war 1 or world war 2 when families have gone through years of war you know they've gone through from my and they've gone through uh, spaces where like you know they've had lo- loved ones lost so the way they behave and the way they act because of that has had a drastic impact on how they are as individuals and mm. and that has sort of been passed down through generations and like i think you know in the context of this podcast like uh, situations such as displacement abuse or discrimination is also passed down from one generation to the next so um so when you talk about that like you know when you talk about discrimination by itself the people who do it also pass it down to their children sometimes and you know the children only know so much so they pick it up and they sort of you know are either racist or casteist or sexist to whoever mm. they see because that's the only thing they have known trauma by itself i think that word also needs to be explained because in my experience i don't think we use it enough you know because uh, we just are so quick to underplay so many things that happen quick to associate like a negative connotation to it really trying to understand what it is and what we can do to really overcome it right so usually trauma is defined as like one really big bad thing that happens to you that has like a long lasting psychological you know maybe even physiological harm changes the way you are as a person for a while right if not worked on my experience i would also like to say that trauma doesn't have to be that one single experience it can be something some little experience you go through literally on every single day of your life you know you mm. come back home to like a house that's just not happy uh, you know simple like form of neglect or like simple form of just you know being shouted at every day or whatever also have a very very long lasting effect on your mental health and that by itself can cause like a long term trauma that can even be passed down to your children and so on and i have to completely agree with uh, akshaya you know she said uh, uh, trauma is a term that we are not using often and which is very very true um i would like to heavily heavily um thank and uh, i would like to quote in fact uh, uh, dr gabor mate uh, who has been an inspiration for my entire study on trauma i have been heavily reliant on his uh, studies his research work his texts his uh, class uh, classes and so on and so forth so i would like to quote him uh, by starting with the term trauma um, trauma is not as akshay explained trauma is not a, a single bad event that can happen trauma can also be the absence of the smallest good things that happens in your life it need not be a bad event it can also be the absence of good things in your life for example a warm hug from your parents you know uh, in in uh, you know in an indian culture you know we never see our parents cuddle with us 
and say, hey, uh, I love you or hold you by your hand, give you kisses or something. But there are so many studies that says that, you know, a child when being born, right, within the first uh at least I would say 10 years, researchers suggest otherwise, you know, uh, they bring it down a list, but I would say 10 to 12 years, you need the physical touch with your parents, you know, the warmth, the hug, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the kind of reassurance that uh, a parent gives can transform a child's life. Uh, Mate gives an example, you know, he says, uh, let's take a, a, a household of an abusive alcoholic parent. Right. And there is a small child over there. The parent is constantly drinking and beating up the child. So the child kind of understands and comes to thinking, OK, uh, they have only two choices to choose between. Either my parent is a bad parent and hates me or I am a bad parent. That's why I'm being punished. And 98 percent of the time, 98 percent of the time a child resorts to the second that is the child thinks I am a bad person that's why I am not uh, being loved by my parents that's mm -hmm. why my parents comes and beat me up but this is not uh, but then what we all forget to see in this is is that the child kind of shuts down and the parent is acting so on the child because the parent does not know how to process their own emotions Right. And this is because their parents treated them the same way that they are treating their child. So they do not know any other way of treating the child. So if uh, a parent is beating the child with a belt, that's how their father or their mother would have treated them. Maybe not a belt, but something else. But, you know, you get the gist. The child would have learned that uh, their childhood is not to pay attention to their feelings. So the child would... Uh, child would be like not to pay to attention to their feeling and that's the only way that they could survive so the reason why they didn't uh, you know act upon is not because they didn't love the child the parent it, it's not because the parent did not love the child it's because they shut up themselves deep down within and this is generational trauma that has been happening from your ancestors to your grandparents to your parents to you and how you pass it on and it heavily heavily falls on us as the current generation to make sure that we break this cycle so it never passes on and this is so much there are so many examples the uh for example the uh the intergenerational trauma in the context of the maori people uh, of new zealand how they were colonized you know it, there's a whole case study as to how intergenerational trauma is seen on them uh, is one example and uh, for example another uh, example is the trauma experienced by the indigenous people uh, you know within our own communities uh, within our own country where how colonization uh, forced uh, uh, assimilation can affect their descendants even if they are born so many years after traumatic event this can manifest in emotional psychological even in physical ways such as compromised immunity, anxiety, chronic health, uh, other chronic health issues. So intergenerational trauma is a complex and an ongoing process that requires the effort of the community and the society at large, starting from decolonizing our own minds and the minds of others that surround us. It requires the acknowledgement 
and uh, yes acknowledgement of the past the provision of resources and support and the commitment to work towards a systemic change until and unless we are able to do all this we won't be able to progress uh, forward so no i completely agree with manoj and nuts points were like uh, honestly like so very refreshing for me to hear and resonate with and you know sometimes it might seem very hopeless you know to see you know there is so much weight on the society on us like as the new generation that's coming up but i do want to say that you know there's also another way to look at it and you know by no way does it invalidate uh, anything we're experiencing you know the weight or anything but it you know there was a thing i read uh, which is a social media post you know scrolling and you know it sort of just like shattered my little bit of my belief system here and there so i just thought i'd share it with you all um mm-hmm. it said you know just because your parents didn't break all that intergenerational trauma that you're experiencing right now does not mean they didn't break any you know that sort of mm. really hit me mm. because i've never thought of it as like okay you know i never thought of it as oh i'm going through so much you know i never thought of it as oh they did try this 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 to make it easier for me in this 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 ways you know and obviously it's not the, the truth for everyone it's not a fact but it is something that can exist and it is possible it's a possibility that everyone has done something to make it easier for their children in some way or the other right like the way they were punished or the way they you know ha- did not have things and now they have like you know they make sure that children have the things they did not have something as small as money that was so scarce back in the days you know and like for their parents to actually put three meals uh, you know in front of a child now might be a big deal for the parents by itself because that is a trauma that they had broken from their past you know maybe they didn't have those three meals right so again not invalidating anyone's experiencing experiences or anything along those lines but it is there has been progress and i'm sure there will be more progress and you know and i'm sure that with more and more awareness there is a huge possibility of you know change really coming with us as we go and i think that is something to keep in mind because i think hope is a very very important thing in conversations like this